Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Week six of discipleship. Week six of discipleship. So we've been doing several uh, weeks of discipleship. We usually, I say usually, we've done it several times in the large parlor across the way, but this is the third time we've done it here in the main auditorium with you. So maybe by the end of this thing, everybody will get a a certificate. You guys will all graduate discipleship, most of you for the second time, but that's okay. But I hope hope this will be a help to you, and I hope that... uh, even if, it, even if it's things you've heard before, even if it's something that, that you, know, you maybe know more than me about, I, I pray that the, the word of God that we study, the verses we look at, that convicts you in some way and the, the Lord speaks to your heart in, in, through his word. Um, but tonight we're going to do a double header. So we're going to look at sin and we're also going to look at grace. Again, I, I, I want you guys to uh, bear with me for my voice. We're going to be reading a lot of scripture so I'm going to ask that you read along with me, you follow along. I have most of it up on the screen, so you could follow along with me. But if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to, to turn to the pages, find them, underline them, circle the number. There are, all these are great verses to know, to remember, to reference, and to memorize. And so that's what we'll be looking at first. Uh, usually, I like to start with the bad news first, so we're going to get straight to sin. Uh, some of you guys looked up as if I was about to give a bad news, and that is bad news is sin. So we're going to start with sin and then move on to grace. And uh, if you look around the world today, I don't, I don't need to remind you, and if you were to skim through a history book, you know that our world is marred and destroyed by sin. Everywhere you look, you flip through channels of the news, you see people hurting people. You see terrible consequences of sin throughout history and throughout our world. Every, everywhere you look, you, you can tell that sin is an issue. Sin is a problem in our, in our world, and it's a problem in our lives. And uh, the great news is Jesus Christ is the great liberator. He's freed us from that sin. He's freed us from living a life slaved to sin. And while we, whenever we accept Christ as our Savior, we, we do have freedom and forgiveness from that sin, but we still have a sin nature, and we're still going to struggle with that sin nature. It's still going to be a constant battle, a constant fight to overcome and over and to have power over sin. And that's what we're going to look at, what sin is and how we specifically as Christians can have power over it, how we can overcome sin. And this is something that's, that's necessary for me, it's necessary for you. If you've been a Christian for a month or, or 80 years, it doesn't matter. We all need help overcoming sin we all need help overcoming the flesh and and this is uh this is something that we're going to look at tonight i encourage you to follow along in your bibles and let's see what you and i as christians can do to have power over such an innate and oppressive foe like sin so let's first look at what it is what is sin you you should have a handout there it's a little bit more um broad so you you can have space to take your own notes but what is sin you know if you uh, if you ask a, a, any stranger on the street or you ask a child or many of us in here you ask them what is sin typically they people will tend to list sins for you give you an example of a sin and i say lying stealing cheating killing you know coveting all these things that that you know you you see, you hear read on the 10 commandments or or that people have issues with in their own lives daily. 
And yes, those are examples of sin, but what makes them sin? And that's what we're going to look at here. What exactly is sin and why it is sin? Here we see first that sin is a violation of God's law or will. Sin is a violation of God's law or will. The Bible says in 1 John 5.17, all unrighteousness is sin. And in your mind you may think, oh, those are synonymous Right, unrighteousness and sin. And yes, it is sin because it goes against the nature of God, who is holy, who is perfect. And anything that goes against his nature is therefore sin. Open your Bibles to 1 John 3, 4. Let's read this verse together. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. It's going on the screen for those of you who, uh, who may not have a Bible with you. The Bible says this. Read it with me. 1 John chapter 3. In verse 4. Ready? Begin. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Very simply put, the transgression of the law that was given, the transgress is sin. Going against God's law, going against his will, what his desire is for me, what his desire is for you. Anything that goes against his law and his will is a sin. And that's, that, seems, that, seems, uh, that seems kind of uh, too, too boring, too basic. Okay, yeah, I already know what a sin is. But it's, it's easy to think of sin as only the bad things. And that's not exactly the truth. Sin is anything that goes against the will of God. And so let's look at the next thing. Is sin is, the missing, sin is missing the mark of divine perfection. Sin is missing the mark of of divine perfection. This next verse we're going to read, hopefully most of you have it memorized, many of you it will be familiar to you, but this is what sin is. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, read it with me, the Bible says this, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short. To sin is to come short of his glory, is to fail to be perfect. So whenever, whenever you think of the word sinner, you can also think of the word failure. We, are, we fail at living up to God's standard. We fail at being perfect, so we're failures. We do not do what God always wants us to do, so we are sinners. This is what sin is, and it's important to understand what sin is if we're going to know how to overcome it. If we're going to know how to live the way God wants us to live, we're going to have to know what sin is in our lives and how how it's defined biblically. Let's look at the next thing. This is something that, that if you say, oh, I'm a good person, I don't, I don't kill, I don't, I don't cheat, I don't, you know, steal. Yeah, you, you can say you don't do all those bad things, but the Bible says, hey, everybody, everybody has fallen short. Nobody has been perfect every single day. Everybody falls into this net of having committed sin. Everybody has missed the divine perfection. Let's see the next. Sin is rebellion sin is rebellion and this is this goes back to to isaiah it talks about the original sin lucifer saying i will be like the most high i do not want to do what god wants for me i want to make my own decisions i want to say what i want to do and and i want to have control of my own my own decisions, and, and this, let's read uh, Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 23. Let's all read together. Ready, begin. But this people hath a revolting 
and a rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. And later on in, this, in verse 25, he calls them the sins. That their sin is rebellion. And our sin, yours and my sin, is an act of rebellion towards our perfect creator. You think, why, why do we do, why are we born this way? Why are we born with such an innate desire to sin? Why is it so much easier to sin than it is to do good? Why is it so much easier to please myself and to do my own thing than it is to yield and submit to his will? And it's because we are born rebels. We're born rebellious, and we are, our rebellion is sin against God. Like I said in, in uh, Isaiah 14, 14, Lucifer says, I will be as the most high. That's, that's the original sin is, is selfish rebellion. Deciding you want what you want and you don't care what God thinks about it. And that's, that's the kind of rebellion that you and I, whether you express it that way or not, is some sentiment that we all have in our lives from time to time. Let's look at the next thing that sin is. And this one, is, this one was convicting for me. Is sin is anything that is not faith. Anything that is not faith. So this, is, this, is a, this is one that, that even if you say you're good, even if you think you're perfect, this is, this, is tr- this is tricky because I do a lot of things completely absent-minded of God, not thinking about its, its impact on eternity, not thinking about what it would do to further the name of Christ. I do so many things absent of faith. Let's look at the Bible says in Romans 14, 23b. Ready? Begin. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Sin, any time we try to make a decision on our own, any time we try to, any time you try to be a good husband on your own, and you try to be a good wife and mother on your own, a good employee or a neighbor, and you think you got it covered, that, that in, in your mind when you think, I got this, I can, I can do this independently of faith, I can do it on my own, that act on its own is sin. And that, that's, that should be convicting for you and for me because those, that's something that we do all of the time. And the Bible says in uh, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, go ahead and read it with me. Ready? Begin. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lead not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. We are to live our lives constantly relying on God. All thy ways. He says, with all thine heart. That everything about us should revolve around, what can I do to please my Savior? What can I do that will please God? Because whenever I act independently of that, that the Bible calls is sin. It's not only just rebellion. It's not only committing you know, bad deeds. It's not only hurting one another. It's, it's thinking that we, it's having the pride in our hearts to say, I don't need God to do this. And so many times in my life, and I'm sure you can relate, I've, I thought I could do good independently of God. I thought I could do okay independently of God. I felt comfortable. I thought, you know, I could, I can resolve this conflict with a friend of my own. Or, you know, I can, I can teach a Sunday school class on my own. I can preach a sermon. I can witness to this person. I can handle a track on my own strength. I'm, I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. I'm good enough. Without ever saying, God, I need you. Please guide me. That's anything that we don't do in faith in that way, the Bible calls sin. Anytime we're not, all, we're not 
uh, following him with all our heart and leaning on our own, anytime we're leaning on our own understandings, the Bible calls sin. So anything that isn't, is rebellious, anything that is not of faith. Another a famous passage you may know, Hebrews 11.6, the Bible says, but without faith, it is what? It's impossible to please him. It's impossible to please God without that kind of faith. To humble ourselves and to say, God, I need you in this moment. I need you right now. And you think how many times I've had pride in my own life. And again, I thought I could do it on my own. That's, that's another way that we are committing sins. We are, we are saying, no, God, I don't want to do your way. I don't want to live in submission. I don't want to live with not, I don't want to acknowledge how wrong and how foolish and how misguided I am on my own. I want, to, I want to turn to you. That's the only time we're not sinning, and it's kind of discouraging to think of, but that's how bad of a sinner we all are. So I cannot please him without a full reliance on him. I, I, am, I am built, I am created to rely on him and to, to walk with him and have a relationship with him. And any time that relationship is broken, and I think I can do it on my own, the Bible calls that sin. So just understanding what the Bible calls sin, our heart should be convicted. You know, our selfish thoughts and our actions that hurt others, our innate rebellion and our reliance on ourselves, these are all sins that we, you and I, we struggle with on a, on a day-to-day basis and probably on a moment-to-moment basis. But the application here is, are we going to take this sin seriously? It can be easy to say, Oh, so if I don't do this, it's sin, and if I do this, it's sin, and if I do that, it's sin, and if I don't do that, it's sin, and whatever. I, I, and just easy to give in and say, I'm going to sin, so what? It doesn't matter. Uh, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. At least I'm not hurting people like they're hurting people. At least I'm not doing what they're doing. And it's so easy to compare ourselves amongst each other and to minimize our sin. When in God's eyes, it's not, it's not small. Anytime we choose to go against his will... It hurts him, and it hurts our God, it hurts our Savior, and we should also, we should, we should feel that, and we should understand our, uh, we should understand the mind of our God enough to know that we should live to please him. And you know, the, so are we going to take sin seriously? Are we going to curb our rebellion? Are we going to resist our flesh? Are we going to rely on him? These are, these are the things that applications we can take from it. Again, I understand most of us here, we've been in church a while, and we've, we've, we already know these doctrines. But these are, this is the word of God pre, uh, speaking. And anytime the word of God is open, the Bible says it will not return void. There's something in here for all of us. And so what, what will we, how will we respond to these verses? How will we respond to this message exposing our sin? So we know what sin is. Let's look at next. Where did sin come from? Where did sin come from? Most of you guys may know, but Jesus says in, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 7. If you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, Jesus tells us where sin comes from. And we'll get to in just a moment where it originated, but let's see where it comes from. It says, sin comes from our heart. Let's look at uh, Mark chapter 7 and verse 21. Mark chapter 7 and verse 21. And let's read it together. We're going to read verses 21 down to verse 23 of Mark chapter 7. The Bible says this. For from within, 
Out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. This is the truth. Sin comes from our hearts. Sin comes from inside of us. We, Disney Channel will tell you, follow your heart. Your heart's always right. It, it leads the way. The commercials will tell you, do what you feel. Live in the moment. These are all things that, that, that sound so good and it sounds so appealing to make your emotions your compass and follow it all, wherever it leads you. But the Bible says that our heart is deceitful. And our, out of our heart is sinful. Our emotions, they're not always sinful, but they will lead us into sin if they are, if they are our God, if they are our idol. And you can, you can blame the devil for causing you to act out in anger, and you can blame whoever else for tempting you to do a certain things, but the Bible says, no, that all comes from inside you. And it comes from man's depravity, because we, as, <clears throat> we have, as, as rebels, at people who have rebelled against our creator, we are born sinners. And the sooner we understand the root of our sin nature, the sooner we can address it. It comes from inside. It's not, it's not you'll hear a lot of people say, all people are good and they're just, they get messed up. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches we are born sinners, we're born wicked, and inside of our hearts, left to our own devices, we will, we will hurt people, we will commit sin, we will go against our creator. And that is, that's straight from the words of Jesus Christ there. He says, all these things, that all these evil things come from within and defile the man. So we see that sin comes first from our heart. And next we see that sin is inherited from Adam. <clears throat> I know my voice is getting worse as we go on, so I'll try to get through this. <clears throat> Sorry. So sin is inherited from Adam. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. In Romans chapter 5, in verse 12, we'll read this verse that, that uh, Paul writes to the Romans, and he says this. Read it with me. Ready? Begin. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You know, Adam chose to sin. His nature became a sin nature. And every single descendant of Adam as that very same nature. That's you and that's me. We are born little stinkers. As, as children, you can see, you can see, uh, I have never, I've never raised a child, but I've had a lot of little brothers and sisters. And you can see when they're really young, they get, they, you can see their personality, their rebelliousness, their, their desire to, you know, get in trouble. And you see, you see their, their personalities come to, kind of come out. And that's, that, you know, it's cute when they're young, but that's what the Bible calls our sin nature it's innate in us and because we're descendants of Adam we have that sin nature and this is an important thing to remember about the birth of our Christ of our of our savior Jesus Christ he had a virgin birth he was not a descendant of Adam he did not have Adam's blood and his he did not have uh, that sin nature he he was perfect and this is this is where we see that the bible says that sin came from Adam and that's obviously in the uh, Genesis account. Now let's see the next. What is the nature of sin? What is the nature of sin? What does it do? How does it act? Let's see first is that sin 
is deceitful. I don't need to take much time on these points because I think everybody here already realizes how destructive, how deceitful, how terrible sin is in our lives and what it will do when it's given power, when it's given control. The Bible says in Hebrews 3, verse 13, read it with me. Ready? Begin. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin. Sin is never up front. Sin is never honest about, about what it costs and, and what it's going to take. Sin is always attractive in the front end, and it's, it's, the back end is not. It's, it's, uh, it's what, what, what did uh, Adam, or sorry, what did the serpent tell Eve? He says, ye shall be as gods. He lies. He promises, he overpromises, and underdelivers. This is what sin is in our lives. And this is what you and I all know to be true. You and I have all chosen to do to, to, turn, to, to not do what God wants us to do, to turn from his law, to turn from his will. And we've done something out of our own volition. We've done things out of our own knowledge. And we've seen the effects. And we've seen the, sin, the consequences of sin in our lives and how sin keeps you longer than you want to stay and it costs you more than you want to pay. And that's, that's the essence of sin, is it is deceitful. It is honest. It looks good at when it's in front. The Bible says sin is fun for a season. It's enjoyable for a season. But uh, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, come through on its promises. The next thing that sin is, is sin is powerful. Sin is powerful. If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs in chapter 5. We're going to be jumping around a little bit here. Sin is powerful. Again, something as, as adults, most, uh, I think all of us are adults in this room, we've, we've, we've experienced sin in our own lives and we've seen it in maybe lives of friends and family members and the effect and the toll it takes on people's lives that it is powerful and it has a strong grip the bible says in proverbs 5 verse 22 says this ready begin his own iniquities shall take the wicked himself and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin it's something that is powerful and when we believe it's lies we are overcome by sin we go, we go to sin expecting promise, expecting pleasure, expecting power, expecting whatever it promises. And we are left being its slave. We are left being subject to it. Sin is deceitful. Sin is powerful. Let's look at next, number three. Sin is destructive. Sin is destructive. The Bible says in Isaiah 1, 28, it says, and the destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together, and they that forsake the Lord shall be consumed. This is, this is the, not only just natural consequences, but this is what the Lord has to say about sinners. Is the sin will have its consequences, and it always leads to destruction. And there's a famous passage in James about how lust, it turns to sin, and sin leads to death. Sin always leads to destruction. You look at every sin you can imagine, it always leads to destruction. It, and most of those things are destruction physically, destruction emotionally, destruction mentally, destruction of a family. Every, it just tends to cause destruction and chaos. Sin always complicates our lives. It always complicates everything that the Lord has created. Sin tries to spoil, tries to contaminate 
tries to destroy. And that is what sin does. It's deceitful, it's powerful, and it's destructive. You know, hopefully we understand what sin is and how it behaves in our lives. But the truth is we'll never be able to completely be, be free from sin while we're here on this earth. We all have this sin nature, as I said before. And we, we, while we have our sin nature, we also have the Holy Spirit who's given us power over that sin. Before we were saved, we were slaves to sin. We answered to sin. This is something we went through in the first week of discipleship. We talked about salvation is our condition before salvation and how we were slaves. We were, we were bound to sin. It had us kept in darkness till we hear the gospel and we understand the salvation offered to us. We accept it and we are now given victory over it through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit. So let's look at this next. What should we do when we sin? Yes, it will happen, but there should be an action, a reaction after our sin in the life of a Christian. It shouldn't continue to go on unnoticed and continue to be swept under the rug like it did before we were saved. It shouldn't just be, a, you know, a, man, I wish you wouldn't do that, and then just continue on your way doing the same old thing you always did. This, this is something for a Christian, is we should have an action plan for when we sin. The first thing we do is acknowledge and confess our sin. Acknowledge and confess our sin. The Bible says in Psalm 51.3, this is David speaking, he says, For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. He says, God, I'm going to call it what you call it. I'm going to confess my sin. Turn your Bibles to 1 John 1.9, or write down this verse. The Bible says this, read it with me. Ready? Begin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Acknowledging and confessing my sin is agreeing with God at what sin is and saying that, God, I did this, I was wrong. I'm saying what you were saying. I'm saying the same thing as God. That's what confess means, to say the same thing as God, not to minimize it, not to say, God, you know me, you know I struggle with that, but you're good with that. You're, you're, you, you don't mind when I do that, right? Or, you know, hey, God, you know, give me some slack. That was a tough situation. That's not the kind of confession and acknowledging of sin that God has mercy upon and that God talks about. <clears throat> David, he says, he says, a broken and contrite heart is what the Lord loves. To confess our sin caused me to come to grips with the pain that it caused my Savior. That's what confession is. And confession is not necessary for salvation. Yes, you can, you're saved. The moment you're saved, God saves your sins, saves you from your sins, past, present, and future. When you accept his son and you give him your sins, it's not momentary. It's for eternity. And confessing your sins does not renew your salvation. But what it does is it keeps the relationship fresh. It keeps that, re- that relationship between you and God close. Because you cannot coexist, God will not coexist with sin. If you're going to have sin in your life, you're, refute, you're resisting the Holy Spirit. You're quenching the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And if we're going to have sin, if we're going to have a, a relationship with the Holy Spirit, we need to confess and forsake sins when they come into our lives. Confess them quickly. And to, to uh, not confess them is to... Is to say that you would rather have a sin than a relationship with God. Let's look at the next thing we do as Christians. When we sin, 
we acknowledge and confess our sin, and also we forsake that sin. We forsake that sin. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. We shouldn't only confess our sins. We should not only confess that they were wrong, but that we should also have a change in our attitude toward that sin and a change in our direction, a change in our action whenever we, so that we have a, a plan to correct that behavior. So we have a plan to, to, to avoid hurting our creator in that way. Again, we, to confess it, is, to be a Christian is to understand that your sin hurts your Savior. To, to acknowledge it, to confess it, and to forsake it. And now look, let's look at this last section here. Is how can we have victory over sin's power? And this is a question that every Christian wish they could just make. I wish it was a, just a really easy secret that you could just do and you'd be done with it today. And no more sin in your life. That would be awesome. No more consequences of your own foolishness and your own sin in, in your life. That would be perfect. But it's a battle. And like I said, it's something that, that we struggle with every single day. But how can we have victory over sin's power? First, is we recognize that God has already made it possible. God has already made it possible to have victory over sin. Before we were saved, we did not have power over sin. We were slaves to sin. We did whatever we felt like doing. We did, we followed our own emotions. We followed our own will. We acted on our own. But as Christians, we understand that Christ has saved us and we are dead to sin. And that's what a lot of Romans chapter 6 is about. It says, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be Dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That word reckon means to, oftentimes it's used in the word add up and uh, come to. So basically, you were to consider all these factors, then you reckon that this would be the case. And Paul's saying, you look at what God saved you from. You look at how Jesus Christ died. He was crucified and was buried. And you with him. He said, now you can think of yourself. You, you basically consider yourself dead to sin because Christ died and he was dead to sin. And that's what Roman, much of Romans 6 is about, how we understand our relationship with sin after we are saved. That Christ has already overcome sin in the grave in our place and for us, and he has made it possible. Let's look at next. To overcome sin, we need to obtain his grace. We need to obtain God's grace. And we're going to look into a little bit more about what God's grace is in just a moment. But in order to overcome sin, we cannot do it without the grace of God. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And then Romans 5.20 says this, Moreover, the law answered that the offense may abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. This, was, this is what God gives us to help overcome. Like I said, we'll get into this in just a second. About what exactly grace is and what its role in our lives as Christians is. Next, how we overcome the power of sin is we establish disciplines that prevent sin from gaining an advantage. We, we, we do things that keep sin from having a foothold, foothold in our lives. A lot of these things are common sense, but the Bible tells us here in his word some of the things we can do. I wrote these references down. We don't have time to turn to every single one, but we are told to control our minds in 2 Corinthians to bring into subjection, to control our thoughts, and, to, under, and to, 
to understand that out of our thoughts come our words and our actions and our habits and our lifestyles. We're taught in 2 Corinthians also to live separate from the world, to be separate, so that we are ordained. We're, we're a different people and we're called to be different, not to live the same way as unsaved people live. Next, we're called to be a doer of the word in James, to read it, study it, and obey it. In uh, Romans, we're called to avoid temptations that lead us to sin, and then also to overcome evil with good. These are all ways that we can avoid letting sin have a foothold in our life and not let it have that advantage of taking control again. As Christians, we already have the victory in Jesus Christ, but we oftentimes let sin back in and we give it a foothold and we let it have power when it does not deserve to have that power. That power does not belong to them, to it. It belongs to Christ. And lastly, we see here, to have victory over sin's power is we use the word of God as a powerful weapon to overcome it. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Uh, when we're being tempted, when Christ was tempted in the wilderness, what did he do to Satan? He responded with scripture. He spoke back the word of God. And, he, and this was when temptation comes in our lives. It's easier to overpower it. It's easier to, we have God's power. We have his word in our hearts. And we're able to know what he thinks about these things because of what he's written down for us. There's a very famous, famous phrase, sin will keep you from this book. But this book will keep you from sin. And it's so true. And maybe you've seen this in your own life. How, how when we sin, it's so easy to, to neglect the word of God. To, you don't want to start memorizing verses. You don't want to do that devotion. And vice versa. Whenever you're deep in the word of God, when you're fulfilled in a relationship with him, that sin just doesn't seem as attractive anymore. And that's what, that's what studying and keeping the word of God in our hearts and active in our lives will do. It helps us overcome sin. And so that, we'll, we'll, we'll pause there on sin and continue on through grace, and we'll be done here in just a moment. What grace is, we discussed just a second ago how grace is a tool that God gave us to help overcome sin, but that, uh, let's look at what grace is. First is grace is God's unmerited or undeserved favor. Unmerited and undeserved favor. A way that, that I've heard it said is grace is God giving you what you do not deserve, and mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. And so this is, this is what grace is. It's God's favor that he gives to you and I that we are completely undeserving of. Again, if you understood this lesson on sin, that's you, that's me. We are terrible sinners. We, we live 90% of our lives completely without even giving a second thought to our Savior. But he still loves us and he still gives us this grace. The Bible says in Romans 3.24, and one of the biggest ways that God shows us his grace is through Jesus Christ. It says being justified freely, so for free, by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's what grace is, unmerited favor. Something he gives us completely void of our own decisions and our own actions only because he loves us. Let's see next. Grace is God's supernatural help. God's supernatural help. It's something that, that's not explainable. It's not something that, that you can 
Just to explain away, the Bible says in Acts 4.33, that and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. They were given great power and great grace. It's a supernatural power, a supernatural help that the Lord gives to us when we ask for his grace. And that's, let's look at what, uh, what grace does. What, how grace helps us. First we see that grace saves us. Grace is what saves us. It's God's grace that sent Jesus Christ to earth to die on the cross for our sins. And it's God's grace that gave us, that redeemed us and that, that made it possible for us to be bought back. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man, lest any man should boast. Salvation in itself is all through, the, through Jesus Christ, which is an act of grace, and salvation itself is an act of grace. Let's look at next, how, God, how does God's grace help us? Grace teaches us. Grace teaches us. It, it helps us grow in the Lord. And the Bible says in Titus 2, 11 and 12. Go ahead and read it with me. Titus 2, 11 and 12. I know I'm giving these off quick and you guys, a lot of you guys are still writing. I'm sorry about that. But let's read together Titus 2, verse 11 and 12. Ready? Begin. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Grace teaches us. It teaches us how we can live to please our very deserving Savior, our very loving God. Next, how does grace help us? Grace strengthens us in times of trial. Grace strengthens us. This is an act of God's grace to give us help when we most need it, a help that we we don't have in ourselves a strength that we, we can't produce on our own, a strength that's not logical to have, but a, a joy and, a, uh, and, and just help from the Lord. The, this is grace in our lives. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, this is the Apostle Paul, and he says this, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient. So Paul, Paul asked the Lord, he says, God, take away this thorn in my flesh this pain, this, this thing that I'm having to deal with, please just take it away from me. I don't want to deal with it anymore. It's frustrating me. It's causing me problems, whatever it was. And God said, no, and this is what he said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glorify, or sorry, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He said, I'm, get, I'm not going to leave you on this. I'm, I'm going to save you. I'm not going to just take you straight to heaven. I'm going to leave you on this earth, and I have a mission for you. And I have a goal for you. And I want to have a relationship with you. He said, and you're going to go through hard times. And my solution to that is not just to take away all the hard times. My solution is to give you grace, to give you grace in those hard times, to give you strength. And that's one of the ways that grace helps us. And let's look at last, how can we obtain grace? How do we get this grace? It sounds awesome. If we could have grace in our lives, supernatural help, if we could have supernatural, you know, strength through trials, these, these are all awesome things to have in God's undeserved, unmerited favor. But how do we get this grace? First, we see we, to be, uh, 
uh, for God's grace, we should be humble. Turn your Bibles to the book of James. James in chapter 4, it says this. Read it with me, James 4, 6. Ready? Begin. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. We just read how in, in uh, 1 Peter, he says, or 2 Peter, he says the same thing, that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. To ask for God's grace in our lives is to come to the realization that we are not enough, that we need God's help and we need it. We're desperate for it. And to understand that we're also undeserving of it. But that's, that's, what, that's, what, that's who God loves to help. That's who loves to give his grace to. Those who come to him humbly and say, God, I need your help. I know I am not adequate. I am not able to do this. And this kind of ties in with, with, uh, with that, that sin that, that you and I probably struggle with is not doing things in faith and thinking we have it all taken care of. But God gives a special amount of grace, special help, a special strength to those who go to him constantly in humility, saying, God, I need you, I need you. And several times in the scripture, we're told how pride limits God's grace in our lives and how pride leads to destruction, how pride, you know, like I said, it quenches the Holy Spirit and so does bitterness and anger and, you know, lack of forgiveness. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 15, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. He says bitterness, anger, this, this lack of forgiveness in our lives, it, it quenches it, God's grace. When we are like that, uh, that unforgiving servant who's forgiven much, and we turn to our friend and we hold that grudge, and we, we hold that bitterness, and we have that pride in our hearts, that's not... That's, that's, that's keeping, that's resisting God's grace in our lives. So how do we get grace? We, we go to him with humility and we ask him for grace. We ask him. It's very simple. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He said, you want, you want help? You need, you're in a time of need and you want, you want God's supernatural strength and his help in your life? He said, go boldly to the throne of grace. Go humbly and go boldly. And he is there to give you grace to help in time of need. God already knows your needs. He already knows what you need. He's just wanting you to humble yourself and come to him and ask him for his grace. Next, let's see how we get this grace as we increase our knowledge of, the God, of God's words. In increasing our knowledge of God's word, we are given a special uh, blessing in God's grace. Let's turn our Bibles lastly to 2 Peter 3.18. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3.18, and we'll finish here. The Bible says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To, to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. He's saying we are to grow in grace. And how do we do that? In the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And how do we grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? How do we know him more? We know him more by studying his word, by learning his heart, by studying the mind of God in the word of God that he gave to us. 
here and that you have in your laps. Stay in the word of God and he's given us a special blessing, the kind of bonus part of being in the word of God. Yes, you, you benefit from our relationship with him and yes, you grow in the knowledge of him, but God also gives those who are in his word and those who grow in the knowledge of him a special blessing that they grow in grace. So in closing, let's, let's think about these few things, how, how sin in our lives can be addressed. You know, am I, am I aware and grateful for, or am I, am I <clears throat> sorry, am I trying to minimize and compare away my sins with other people in order to avoid humbling myself and having to confess and forsake them? And do I minimize it? Do I, do I realize how much my sin hurts my Savior? Do I, do I commit the sin of neglecting him and, and trying to do things on my own? These are all things, questions that I had to ask myself when I came to the end of this and said, man, I need to get better at this. I need to, I need to look at God's word and say, I need to do a checkup from the neck up and realize I'm not doing this the way that God wants me to do. I'm not living every minute completely reliant on him and following or choosing to follow him in all of my ways. And, uh, and then also, in, as far as grace, am I aware of and grateful for the grace that God has given me already? The grace he's shown me in salvation, the grace he's shown me in the, the, uh, the joy and the blessings and the fruits of the Spirit that we enjoy because of salvation? Am I resisting his grace through pride, thinking that, thinking that I got taken under control and I'm strong enough on my own and I don't really need God's help? And I, for that reason, I don't go to him for help unless things get really bad? Is that, is that my mentality? Because that's not, that's not what uh, the Bible says we should be doing. And lastly, am I staying in his word? Am I enjoying the blessings of his grace by staying and studying and meditating and memorizing his word? These are, all, these are all blessings. I hope they're encouraging to you, and I hope they were convicting for you as they were for me. But uh, these are all, uh, this is, this is our, our discipleship class for gr- sin and grace. And I know for a lot of it, it's, it seems pretty redundant, but I know it, the word of God does not return void, and I hope it was a blessing. I hope it was a help to you tonight, and I thank you so much for being here.